Hi, I'm Pastor Lori Boucher, and I want to personally welcome you to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Are you ready to study the Bible together chapter by chapter? If you go to heartstrong.life and sign up for a free membership, you will get access to the full Bible reading plan and all the bonus discipleship content that we have prepared for you. Open up your Bible and get ready to take some notes because God is going to speak to you today. Let's become heartstrong disciples together through the study of God's Word. So let's start with our memory verse uh, fresh this morning. It's uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. So together, let's, let's all read. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let's take a moment and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, we thank you for another week, but we also ground in the reality of this the symbolism of what this week of Holy Week, what it represents to us as followers of Jesus. And so, Lord, as we go through Monday all the way up to Easter Sunday, Father, I pray that we would root our heart and our faith in each step that you have taken, each step that you take, God. And Father, may it be a great encouragement of how much you love us, but may it also be a reminder of what, what the true cost of sin is, what the true penalty was, and how you graciously paid it for us. And so, Father, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. And amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, um, it's a little different than last week's. So we're obviously not going to be able to read Genesis chapter six through eight, but um, let's do a five minute overview and then let's begin to dig in a little bit deeper. And I'm sure there'll be some fascinating questions today. <laughs> okay. So in Genesis chapter six, verses one to eight, let's just read just that portion. It says, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, so demonic fallen angels, saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh and his days shall be 120 years. So there's now a numbering of shortening a number of days. The Nephilim which I just referred to a moment ago, um, were on the earth in those days. And also afterwards, when the sons of God, so again, demonic fallen angels, came in to the daughters of men and they bore children to them. There were the mighty men who were of old and men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. 
And so Noah is the first person in the Bible whom God will use to bring restoration to a world that has overwhelmingly chosen evil or rebellion. And so far in Genesis, we've seen, if you will, three acts in the grand story of scripture. The first act, of course, is creation, which starts with the question, who is God? If you were in church yesterday, whatever church you belong to, I'm sure there was some sort of Palm Sunday reading. If you'll notice in Palm Sunday, this too is the central question as Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on a colt or a, a colt, a, a donkey or a colt. The question is, who is this? The city is stirred. It's the same question. Who is this? In 2022, this is the same question oftentimes. Who is God? So we've seen God. The story in the beginning, God, then you move to creation, excuse me, and creation is really answering the question, who am I? Who are we as humanity? And then we've also seen in Act 3, the fall, and the fall from a Christian worldview begins to address the question of what's wrong with me, and a larger sense than what is wrong in the world today? And the Christian worldview is it's rebellion against God, therefore sin. This is what's wrong with us. And this is what creates brokenness in the world in which we live. So in a microscopic, imperfect way, I'm sure you can relate to someone you love making decisions counter to your desires. I'm sure you've had that in your life. People that you love make decisions that are harmful to them, but they also then begin to have a trickle effect and harm others around them. Well, as God surveys humanity, he finds that those that he loves, everyone constantly planning evil. And so when human hearts are full of wickedness, Genesis writers pull something really, really good for us to look at is that when our hearts are full of wickedness, God's heart is full of pain. And that's very important, again, because in particular, when we travel through wickedness or when we see the explosion of wickedness, whether it would be in our, con our context and even an invasion, for example, into a foreign land, um, you need to know that God's heart is full of pain, whether wickedness is individual or it is nation to nation or global in scale. He alone knows our true, our true glory, and God knows the paradise that we have lost. Here's what happens when we sin. We exchange glory for something lesser, and God's heart aches for lost humanity. And one day, we know the story, one day he will send his son to be our savior. And one day Jesus will show us um, by his suffering and death exactly what sin costs God. But today, before unpacking Genesis chapter six to eight, um, the specifics of Noah, we have to embrace one thing, or I'd like us to embrace one thing. Once again, the pain that you feel watching those that you love or the world that you live in that you love, making decisions counter to the way of Jesus is the reason God provided a singular way of healing, and that is through the work of his son. The way God is actively loving us is the way you and I are called to patiently learn to love those around us. And so today we are going to see an act of rescue that may not feel like rescue on our side, but it's an act of rescue and an understanding of the core biblical answer to the question of what's wrong with me 
and what's wrong in the world. It's a foreshadow of a greater rescue to come. So even in your life with people that you love, I want you to listen closely to what people believe is wrong, maybe with them, but what's more importantly, what's wrong in the world around them, and then what their solution is to these problems. Because if you listen intently, what people will be sharing with you is their worldview. And it gives you an opportunity to pray, to talk about how the gospel speaks into these issues. And so that's just a quick overview. And so now let's dig into Genesis chapter six, verses five to eight. Again, this all is foreshadowing a greater redemption in Christ. But now let's dig into the story we have to go through today. So as we have just recently read, Genesis chapter one is a beautiful and cohesive telling of creation. Genesis chapter six through nine, I know we're just doing six to eight today, but six through nine are written in a specific fashion designed almost to be an echo to Genesis chapter one. The ESV study Bible places it this way. By echoing chapter one, Genesis chapter one, the whole process is presented as the undoing of creation. And then you're going to see a recreation of the earth as it emerges from the flood. But after the flood, not everything is going to return to a pristine creation. Sin is still present and human nature is not fully renewed. And so Genesis chapter six to nine, again, it is the unfolding of this uncreation moment um, that's designed to have echo effects from Genesis chapter one. Now, a word of not necessarily caution, but a word I think of wisdom, in particular on Friday, I think it was maybe Thursday, no Thursday, because we don't, yeah, th last Thursday when we were talking about, um, you know, Adam and Eve's and kids and who was their wives and, and all of those pieces in Genesis chapter six, I'm sure we'll talk about it in more in a moment, but there is this understanding of the Nephilim. Um, and these are interesting, and these are fascinating things that we can look at within scripture, but really good theologians and Bible school, Bible school students, um, there's an expression that theologians use, and it's this, is we mustn't shout where the Bible only whispers, and we also must be silent where the Bible doesn't speak at all. And so there are whispers throughout here, and we want to have our attention on them as whispers not as shouts. The shouts are the central things that are of most importance. The whispers are of some importance, but they have to be held in scale. And so an example, while the Nephilim is interesting, it's not as significant as the shout of scripture. And so between the earth that was filled with violence and corruption stands one man, Noah, once again, a foreshadow to one who is to come, who will deal not only with brokenness, but also sin. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 says that Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his generation, and he walked with God. Now, it's very, very vital to understand what blameless means. Blameless means without evident flaw, but it does not mean that Noah is sinless. Blameless is used in the story of Noah, and the story of Abraham to refer to their exceptional obedience to God. So Noah was righteous in the sense that he did was right. Noah was blameless 
in the sense that he didn't do what was wrong. And the scripture is explicitly clear in Genesis 6, verse 9. The righteousness accredited to him is that he walked with God. And that is supposed to be in contrast to the other sons and daughters of men on the earth who do evil continually, thus not walking with God whatsoever, only in disobedience, not obedience. This is the significant shouting contrast. So righteousness and blameless is best understood by Noah's posture, not his sinlessness. He was not. He walked with God. This was the deciding difference again between him and all others in his generation. All others didn't walk with God as we read in Genesis chapter 6 verse 12. And God saw the earth and behold it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And so between option, again, um, we love this. We love oftentimes if there's an A and a B option, we always want to insert an option C. So like a little bit of both, like I'm, I'm not like, a, I'm not the best. I'm not the worst. I'm like sort of in between, but Jesus and the Bible speak differently. It speaks of kingdoms of light and kingdoms of darkness and then we make choices in the middle, but both affect and infect our lives. It speaks about uh, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Jesus said that we can't serve him and money or mammon. And so it's always these A and B options. Again, we as humans love to insert C's, but that's not the way the scriptures speak. And so between Genesis chapter three to six, we see sin and the fall affecting everything, everything starting with an individual, moves into a family relationship, moves into other family relationships. You begin to see polygamy. You begin to see slavery. You see murder. You see this downward trajectory of what sin begins to do. And then because you and I are humans, the systems that we create, the things that we engage, the fall infects and affects all of those things. The earth itself all the things you see it. And so John Golden Gay in Genesis for Everyone says, so the fallenness of humanity affects not only their collective bodies, but the very earth itself. And as a result, there are four astonishing reactions from God described again, he describes is you see that God expresses regret. God feels pain in his heart. God makes a decision to blot out humanity and Noah finds favor or grace. And he goes on to say, in this connection, the order in which Genesis reports on God and Noah, and this is the shout, please hear this, in particular as we lead into Holy Week this week, um, in which Genesis reports on God and Noah is significant. First, it tells us that Noah found grace with God, and that is vital. Then it tells us that Noah was a person of faithfulness and integrity or blameless, someone who walked with God like Enoch. Noah receives instructions for surviving the coming destruction. Um, messing with any aspect, however, in this story vitally messes up the theology and the story. So the link is that grace the grace that God gives to Noah generates faithfulness and integrity, not the other way around. It's not as though because Noah is 
obedient and perfect in all of his ways, then he finds grace. No, grace finds Noah and enables him to walk, which is always the story of grace and truth and obedience from God to us, not us earning from God. Remember, this is a story about God and humanity, God and Noah, God and creation, not a story about humanity and God, Noah and God, order matters. And so God's initial plan of rescue includes one man, wood, and the interaction of both human obedience and divine action. Yes, a foreshadow of Jesus who is to come. One man, wood, and the interaction of human obedience and divine action. And Noah must build the ark with a singular point of access according to God's specifications. If you go to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays, if there is any other way, there's any other way, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. There was one way through the understanding of what was going to occur with wood, right, to pave a way for you and I to have access to the Father through one. The ark had one door. All of this is foreshadowing Jesus. Genesis 6 verse 22 says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Genesis 7 verse 5, Noah did all the Lord commanded him. Genesis chapter 7 verse 16, and those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And here's what it says. It says that the Lord shut them in. Once again, it is God who ensures Noah and his family and creation are safe and sound. Genesis 8 verse 1, it says, but God remembered. It's not as though God forgot, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and then the waters begin to subside. This is now after the flood has been poured out. And at the end of 40 days, God opened the window of the ark that he had made in Genesis 8 verse 6. We see that. So the flood is an act of uncreation. God's justice and his wrath is poured out on creation. But this too is measured. I want you to think about it from this perspective. Though it may be hard for us to wrap our minds around how this is just and good, God pours out his wrath. The earth is sustained. Life, yes, human life is lost in it, but it's also preserved. It's preserved in Noah and his family. Now I want you to think about the existential threats that humans create on the earth today. Think of nuclear war. It absolutely obliterates both earth and human life. Um, if we don't steward the earth well, the results, again, can be both harm to human life and the earth itself. And so while the flood is an act of uncreation, as God's justice and wrath is poured out, again, it's measured in a way that only God can do. Although God is setting the creation to begin again, it is not going to be like Genesis chapter one, because the presence of sin and darkness and the devil has not been removed. And so Genesis eight, verse 20 to 22 says that Noah builds an altar to the Lord. We can actually read it. Genesis chapter eight. Let's go to Genesis eight, verses 20 to 22. It's, it's significant. So now you have 
uh, God's word to Noah to build an ark according to specific specifications, and Noah is obedient to do it. Noah's family and livestock are into the ark as the Lord pours out justice and wrath upon created on, on creation. Uh, they are preserved. Now they are now out of the ark. And the, one of the things you see is God invokes a covenant with Noah. It says, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and he took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold, ah, winter, boo, cold and heat, summer and, well, there's summer and winter, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And then you see a blessing in Genesis chapter nine, but that's not our, our one for today. And so chapter eight, we've now journeyed through, but chapter eight, it sets up now this forthcoming, unconditional, noatic covenant so when you're reading my bible your bible this is what i want you to see and it's the last part today before we can open it for questions there are two types of covenants that you see in the scriptures there are unconditional covenants i know we've covered this before but i'm going to do it again there are unconditional covenants of which the noatic covenant or the covenant with noah where god says i will never destroy the earth again and he marks it with a rainbow but the noatic covenant um, is an unconditional covenant where God will keep his promises, where God will keep his word, where it is rooted in who God is, not what we do. And then as we begin to journey through and we get to the law and you get to Leviticus and you get to other portions, you will see if you do this, then I will do that. This is conditional that it's different. One of the most famous ones, of course, is in Chronicles. If my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray, turn from their sin, you know, um, turn towards me. I know I'm paraphrasing a bit then. Um, I will hear from heaven, you know, and I will heal their land. But there's an if in there. Lots of places in the scriptures, you'll see these ifs, you'll see these unconditional covenants. And there's not many, there's a handful of them rooted in God. But then you see conditional things. If you do this, if you don't harden your heart, and so it all, that involves our choice. It is the living between divine, divine instruction, the heart of darkness or the, the work of darkness, and then our behavior and choices in the middle, how we engage these things. And so again, chapter eight ends by setting up this forthcoming unconditional noatic covenant, which is an unconditional covenant where God and God alone will keep his word. And so the shout of scripture that we have gone through is that Noah is righteous, he's blameless, he walks with God, he is obedient, but it is first God's grace that finds Noah and that enables him to walk in these things. Blameless does not mean sinless. Blameless is used in the story, again, to refer to his obedience to God. And so in God's righteous justice and wrath, he pours it out on the earth. There is now this new creation, I would say, now where we are at. Um, but it doesn't go back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 3 of the fall and its effects are still present.
And so that's a quick overview of Genesis chapters six to eight. And I hope it's been a blessing to your heart as it is to mine. Heavenly Father, we thank you for every single one on the call today, whether it's morning, whether it's afternoon, or whether it's evening. Father, we may each of us, true to the text, may we have a heart like Noah. May we walk in obedience with you. Father, I thank you that one thing that doesn't change from the days of Noah until today, and that is, it is but by grace that we are saved. Lord, thank you also for your truth that exposes what is genuine, what is true, what is, what is wrong with us, this condition of sin, and also what is, what is wrong in the world today. And Father, as we root in this part of the story, as followers of Jesus who have also the second covenant or the new covenant, we know it is pointing to Jesus. And so we know that this is an unfolding story. And give us the grace, Father, to see your plan of redemption that is unfolding um, in this story. And Lord, I pray in that heart today, in particular as it is the week of Easter, Father, that we'd have a fresh understanding and, and revelation of, again, who you are and what you are doing, not just in our day, but who you have been faithful since the days of Noah until today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's Bible study. Don't forget to visit heartstrong.life to access our daily blog for even more encouragement. Visit the HeartStrong shop with all kinds of awesome merch like hoodies, t-shirts, and mugs to remind you of this awesome journey of discipleship that you are on. Log in to heartstrong.life to access all your member content, resources, and downloads. We have live Bible studies for adults, students, and a Bible boot camp for kids. Let's become heartstrong disciples together.